Rosalind Franklin finds herself on a crisp April morning, opening the newspaper in the student canteen at the University of Cambridge. She's still not woken up from the previous evening when Maurice, her supervisor in the lab, stayed with her to finish developing her x-ray films. Rosalind sips her coffee, as she remembers last night, when in the blur of one photograph, they may have found something. Another photograph showing the double helix structure of DNA. She's sure of it. The newspaper seems to have all the same stories about how the new Queen Elizabeth II was finding her reign, and how the Korean War was slowly coming to an end. The bottom story of the newspaper catches Rosalind's eye. There, in black and white, the title reads, The Structure of DNA Solved, New Study Proves It. Rosalind is shocked. The study that the newspaper mentions is the experiment she helped James Watson and Francis Crick work on. They both were looking at the structure of DNA, but they weren't supposed to publish their results for another week. Rosalind gasps as she sees at the end of the article one of her photographs. It's her favorite one, clearly showing a double helix pattern. She looks over the photograph again and again, fuming. Watson or Crick must have published the photograph without her permission. She folds the paper neatly as she realizes what she must do. It is time to talk to Maurice, her supervisor. Both of them have just been duped by two of the most famous men in science. Brains of people are more interesting than the looks, I think. Electric power is everywhere present in a limited quantity. Jane, if you really want something and you work hard and you take advantage of opportunity and you never give up. You're listening to The Human Angle, a podcast that dives into the hidden lives of scientists, asking what makes them human. I'm your co-host, Jackie Wakefield, here with my other co-host, Kenna Caspery. Thank you, Jackie. And thank you for tuning into our podcast. If you like today's show, please leave a five-star review to show your appreciation. You can also find this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and many other podcast platforms. Today, we are discussing the scandal surrounding the discovery of the structure of DNA. We'll be focusing on two of the four main scientists involved, Dr. James Watson, winner of the Nobel Prize and known for this discovery, and Rosalind Franklin, who contributed the most damning evidence to the DNA structure, but has never actually been given proper credit for her work. It turns out that the story of the double helix is more twisted than we think. We've structured this podcast to be almost a debate style, titling the episode Watson versus Franklin. I will be taking the side of Watson in the debate. Please note that Dr. James Watson has said some very controversial statements to the press, which we will be discussing later in this episode. We do not agree with these statements and want to make sure this episode is not centered on character shaming Dr. Watson, but instead focusing on his human aspects during the scandal. With that in mind, please note that some of his statements may be upsetting to some listeners. And I will be telling the Rosalind Franklin side of the story, discussing her work as a scientist and why she was actually never given credit for the discovery of DNA. In the end, we'll leave it to you, the listeners, to to determine whether Rosalind Franklin deserves to be rewarded posthumously or if Dr. Watson should be revoked of his awards due to his controversial opinions. Let's get started. So we'll start with the life of Dr. Watson and just give a quick summary of what happened to lead up to the scandal of discovering the structure of DNA. So Dr. Watson was born as James Dewey Watson in 1928. 
He was in a working-class family and described himself as an escapee from the Catholic religion. In 1947, he earns his undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago. From there, he moves to get his Ph.D. from Indiana University in 1950. In 1950, he decided it would be a good idea to move abroad. So, from 1950 to 1956, he moves to Europe and eventually begins working at the University of Cambridge's Cavendish Laboratory, where he met Dr. Francis Crick and Rosalind Franklin. So just a quick question. Was he starting as, like, a postdoc? He was, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Supervised by Crick. Supervised by Crick. So I was under the impression that he was a PhD student for some reason. Nope. I think that's because he already got his PhD, so that's why he wanted to work up to a postdoc afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, I don't know why. Like, I guess when <laughs> I, like, hear supervisor, I automatically am just like, oh, so there must be a student. So that brings us to Rosalind Franklin. What was she doing during this time? So she was born in London uh, in Notting Hill in 1920. She was born to an affluent an influential British Jewish family. But she herself was agnostic. Her family always like, she's such a skeptic kid. She wouldn't believe anything. There's a quote where her mum and her are talking about religion and Rosalind, Rosalind Franklin says, oh, but what if God was a woman? Ooh, interesting. So, Ariana Grande might be getting some royalties <laughs> from that. Um... So pretty much, yeah, she had a pretty wealthy family, quite privileged. Um, and at school, she always showed, like, exceptional ability in all of her studies, except for music. For some reason, she was just really bad at music. There's that always got to be there's always gotta be one. You can't be good at everything. You can't have it all. So in 1938, she went to study at Cambridge. She did get a scholarship, but her father actually convinced her to give it to more, like to give it to a more deserving refugee who wouldn't have been able to go to university otherwise, which is quite nice. Um, she studied chemistry, graduated with the second class honors, so not exceedingly amazing mark, but good all the same. And then she began a research fellowship in physical chemistry once again, also at Cambridge. So there was a bit of a time in Norway in 1939 when she was with her family that they actually got stuck in Norway because her family was Jewish and this was during World War II. Oh, wow. So they really struggled to travel. Um, she sure. really wanted to go to France and actually hated the UK, um, describing people in the UK as having vacant, stupid faces and childlike complacency. Wow. What are your thoughts on that? We've just both moved to the UK. What do you think? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think it goes more with her skeptical personality. Yeah. Maybe she had some trust issues as well. Vacant, stupid faces. Vacant, stupid faces. Every I, single one. Every single one of them. But I think that's also what makes her a pretty good scientist. It's the sense that you need to be skeptical and question everything. Definitely, but I don't think that gives you the. Right. Yeah, I, think, I mean, that, I think that, that was a bit too much. I don't think that's skepticism. <laughs> that's just rudeness. Yeah, but to be fair, like, yeah, she just wanted to move to France, but obviously, like, World War Two did keep her from being able to like travel very right. freely. Which makes me wonder, like, because Watson is coming from the U.S., if she liked him better or not because he wasn't British. Hmm. Or maybe U.S. is even worse. Yeah, it, it could be. We'll never know. <laughs> we can dig in and dig into that later. Um, so in 1945, when World War II ended, um, Franklin actually met a refugee. Her name was Adrienne Wells, and she was actually a student of Marie Curie. And Adrienne was really influential in Franklin's work. Um, so Franklin asked Adrienne to keep an eye out for if anyone was looking for someone who 
was a physical chemist who knows little about physical chemistry, but a lot about holes in coal, which (laughs) (laughs) I quite liked. Like, that shows that she was, like, you know, didn't take herself too seriously. Like, yeah. And also it speaks to many people who've probably done a PhD and you know you're doing a PhD in a field, but you really don't know the field. You just know your little itty-bitty bit of the field. It's very true. Um, But this did lead to her appointment with Jacques Mering in France. So she finally did get to go to France, where she did X-ray crystallographing. Interesting. Which is how she ended up getting a position at King's College in 1950, where she would eventually meet Watson and Crick. She was doing a three-year fellowship, um, originally working on X-ray diffraction of proteins and lipids um, under the directorship of John Randall. But then she was actually redirected to work on DNA fibers as there was pioneering work being done by Maurice Wilkins. And this is where Franklin and Watson end up meeting. So Watson ends up teaming up with Franklin at King's College to identify the structure of DNA. Franklin was, I guess, indirectly under Maurice Wilkins. So she was, her boss was technically John Randall, but she was directed to work on the project being supervised by Maurice Wilkins. So it was quite a strange... Dynamic. Yeah, dynamic, because um, she didn't really know where her place was a lot of the time, so... What would happen is, so for example, Wilkins wanted Rosalind to supervise one of his PhD students, but she didn't really know that and she wasn't really part of the lab group, so she didn't end up doing it, which led to really big tensions between Wilkins and Rosalind, which meant that they had a kind of fraught relationship from the start. Interesting. So they weren't exactly allies, no, her and Wilkins did not get along super great, unfortunately. And then you bring in Watson into the mix. So Watson has repeatedly, both in his book, The Double Helix, and in actual quotes, said that Franklin's appearance did not emphasize her feminine qualities. <laughs> I love when people say that to me. I, I really <laughs> want to know what he meant. <sighs> We know what he meant. I just mean it in more of like, why would you say that? Because <laughs> he's an asshole. I guess. So since working with Franklin, Watson has in the past questioned her intelligence overall and wondered if she suffered from Asperger's it's, syndrome. It's so uncool he to is, say that. The worst part is, is that he is quoted saying, clearly Rosie, his nickname for her, had to go. Or be put in her place. The former was obviously preferable because given her belligerent moods, it would be very difficult for Maurice to maintain a dominant position. So clearly you can tell from this quote that Watson had very misogynistic points of view when it came to women in science. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I don't think Wilkins was helpful in that. I think had Franklin been under a supervisor who supported her and was potentially like more feminist this would have happened because she didn't have a support system exactly exactly she was almost fighting all three of them watson crick and wilkins definitely and as you touched on um watson thought that she might have asperger's syndrome one it's not cool to make um, fun of that make fun of it but also just like that it's not cool to just like 
pretend to diagnose someone just because like you don't right. get along with them or something but absolutely I mean like and the fact of the matter is like Franklin was known for being like very direct yeah but as a scientist like you kind of have to be and she did in her specifically her earlier years she did actually do really well when she had scientific debate which is why she would be so direct because she really benefited from that back and forth I think maybe Watson felt threatened then if she was so direct because and that's maybe why he was trying to put her in her place as a woman so unfortunately from what we do know is that Watson and Crick used Rosalind Franklin's photographs in a race to submit their paper to Nature magazine before anyone else could solve the structure of DNA. The paper was published on April 25th, 1953. The paper did receive some interest, but it was mainly scientists traveling to see the model of DNA that made more of an impact on the scientific community. And when scientists were traveling from all over the world to see this model, which is in that famous photograph of Watson and Crick, you can clearly tell that Rosalind Franklin is not included in showing the model. It would have just been Watson and Crick showing this is their work, this is what they have come up with, which is really quite sad. Mm, definitely. It would have been, so pretty much Franklin was, so she found two forms of DNA, short and fat when it was dried and long and thin when it was wet. So um, she was working on the short and fat one and Wilkins and therefore Watson and Crick were working on the long and thin. Um, They both found they had like a helix structure. So what happened was she was writing her short and fat DNA manuscript um, and was sending it to a journal. It reached the journal one day before Watson and Crick completed their model, which she was unaware of. She didn't know that they were even doing the model. So then she sent this paper through. They finished their model, which completely changed the context of her work, making her pretty much look like she didn't understand the field. She ended up having to like send in like an amendment to consider Watson and Crick's work um, just because they didn't communicate to her what they were doing at the same time. And as she really developed those, like, initial models before they split it into, like, the two forms of DNA, their work on their form of DNA was just, yeah, 100% built off the backbone of her work. Right. And just the fact that, you know, she had to make this amendment and almost not apologize for her work, but had to, you know, show that she did know what she was talking about is, I think, something that probably ended up causing the fact that she isn't credited with this in history, which is really quite sad because clearly she's very gifted as a scientist. She knows what she's talking about. It's just the combination of Watson and Crick finishing their model and her publishing this in this journal that has caused her to make it look like she didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah, it was unfortunate timing, but it was also the fact like, and I think a lot of research still comes down to this. And in this case, a lot of it's rooted in sexism. But when there is tensions between people people do get cut out of things like get cut out of being referenced in papers and such like if you have a poor relationship with your supervisor or with another scientist it's so much less likely that they will be considered so I think the fact that yeah once again she had a poor relationship with Watson Wilkins wasn't there to stand up for her she just didn't get credited and in addition because she was a woman she was really easily discredited in that time absolutely the 1950s while it's a big change for women 
it's a very slow change for women in science. Mm. Very slow. Yeah. So I would guess that she had very, if any, other female figures in her field. Yeah, I can imagine she wouldn't have very many. Like, what was Crick doing this whole time, actually? I think Crick was just kind of caught up in the moment with Watson, mm. where they've published this paper, they have built this model, scientists from all over are starting to view this model, they're gaining traction with the public, saying, here's the actual structure of DNA, we found it. And I think Crick probably knew that it was wrong to take Franklin's work without her knowing. I think he did know that we should give her some credit. But I think the fact that it was too big too quickly and he didn't feel right to speak out about it is really difficult. Yeah, I think like he he clearly didn't act. I don't think he actively did anything wrong because it's well known that Crick and Rosalind were still on good terms for right. a really long time. But he, yeah, he clearly didn't do anything to help either. Like it's just the classic like innocent bystander in a sense yeah and also the internal bias of sexism as well I think would have come into it while he didn't actively like act on any anything um that I guess being socialized to still view women as lesser he was easily swept up in Watson's more extreme beliefs I suppose you could say probably but I will say this Rosalind Franklin was not, she didn't take it lying down. She went to uh, Watson and Crick and she told them about their their model. She said, it's very pretty, but how are you going to prove it? Burn! <laughs> Burn, <laughs> baby. Shots are definitely being fired. Oh. oh I loved that. <laughs> that's that's good. And that's like, I mean, it's very her. Like, she's so skeptical. And that's probably the reason why she didn't get there first. Like, she was she was known to be a bit slower because she wanted to be certain of everything. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, Rosalind Franklin is not having a good time at King's College. She is treated poorly by Watson and Crick and Wilkins. So she decides to move to Burbeck. She's recruited by a guy called John Desmond. Um, John Desmond is a communist and he's an active promoter of female crystallographers. So he actually was known to hire lots of women in his physics lab, which is very cool. And like once again, in the 50s, um, that's pretty much unheard of. Yeah, especially because he was a physicist. Like that's like once again, like all of science has been bad to women especially physics <laughs> like yeah they do have that reputation yeah. um but while she was there she continued to help uh wilkins phd student complete his thesis um and they ended up publishing the first evidence of the double helix in the um short and fat form of dna um in nature so she did end up publishing a really important paper whenever you get like nature is known as like the best journal you can right. publish in. So that's, I mean, she did get some recognition, which is good. That is good. Um, and then in 1954, she got a grant and actually got her own research group where she supervised a bunch of different people and ditched the DNA and went to RNA and was researching that for a bit. But unfortunately, uh, in 1956, she started to be- suspect that she had an illness um, she ended up having ovarian cancer, and in that last year of her life, she spent a lot of time in hospital, and one of her frequent 
frequent visitors uh, was Francis Crick. So clearly they were still on good terms. He may have done her wrong, but... He knew in the end. Yeah, and also, like, I guess it, it goes to show that what Watson, how Watson and Wilkins treated her went beyond just not crediting her for her work. Like, Crick was also right. responsible for that, yet he must have still treated her with respect in the lab and right. been nice to her. Um, and hence, like, I think he was still, like, a very important figure in her life as a friend. Right. I wonder if he felt guilty, too, as well, just seeing this whole transition of, you know, her working in the lab, then finding this discovery, and then her leaving and realizing that he didn't stand up for her, and he did partly have some cause for her leaving. Yeah. So from what we do know is that Crick really hasn't been very vocal after this whole affair about Um, his feelings on the topic, and I wonder if he wants to keep it that way. I'd say, like, yeah, I'd say he'd be if he has been quite silent on it, he probably, like, feels good about the discovery, but it's probably mixed up with some kind of weird feelings because, yeah, he... I mean, he is somewhat responsible for pretty much workplace bullying and not crediting someone for their work. Right. Um, And people know that now. So, yeah, I I can imagine he'd have some complicated feelings about... or had complicated feelings about it. But, like, at least he did write in the end. Um, him and his wife were very frequent visitors, so there's that. And then in 1958, um, Rosalind Franklin died of ovarian cancer, having only lived to 38. That's so young. It's so young. Ugh. And the fact that she dies, too, I think, because of what happens after she dies is really hard in the sense that she lost her fight. Mm. And she was never able to have somebody stand up for her after her death. Yeah, and well, the fact is, like, also she was just beginning to get her own research group. And at 38, to have your own research group is, like, quite impressive. As a woman in the 50s as well is insane. So she didn't have it. Like, I bet if she did have more time, she would have ended up contributing so much more to the field. And it's such a shame that what most people know her for is what, people didn't know her for but exactly exactly um because yeah she would have gone on to do probably even more incredible things yeah so unfortunately Rosalind Franklin's death leaves a void in her story and Watson covers that void very easily in 1962, Watson Crick and Wilkins all received the Nobel Prize in physiology or medicine and because (laughs) Rosalind Franklin died in 1958 she was technically ineligible for nomination. However, some of the Nobel Prizes in the past have been awarded posthumously given certain circumstances. Um, In 1974, Nobel Prizes could only be awarded posthumously if the recipient died between the award being announced and the traditional ceremony in December. So, of course, you know, because the award comes in 62 and Rosalind Franklin dies in 58, there is a large gap and large enough for her not to be eligible for the award. However, I do believe that she has given enough contribution to science and enough people have been aware of her contribution to science that she should be given credit in some form or another. I'm kind of wondering, like, would if she, even if she was alive, would if she actually been would have she been awarded? I know. That's what I was she wondering, wasn't credited too. in the paper. Is like, would Watson, or even Crick in this instance, take the effort 
in the nominations for the Nobel Prize to say, by the way, there's a fourth person and her name is Rosalind Franklin. Because I would almost, I would be extremely intrigued to know whether, because like, I mean, yeah, she doesn't fall within those conditions. It's a bit shit, but yeah, she doesn't. So like, I would be so intrigued to know whether she actually would have been nominated. Absolutely. Um, that is that is a question that we'll always have. Mm. So we do know now, of course, that her x-ray photographs were unauthorized in Crick and Watson's paper. Um, clearly, they used some of her data without her consent. Um, but the nice thing is, is that Franklin's work really has stood the test of time. It has shown that, you know, the double helix is anti-parallel with sugar phosphate backbones. And the <laughs> oh, nice okay, thing okay, is, okay. is like most textbooks record that as her work. Good, good. So at least she has been remembered through history. Watson hasn't blotted out her name that much. (laughs) So Watson, in 1968, six years after winning the Nobel Prize, publishes The Double Helix, which is a book about the discovery of the structure of DNA. Watson, in the book, decides to put on the persona of Honest Jim. However, both Crick and Wilkins... I I think it's just he's trying. So he puts on this persona of Honest Jim, which is he's trying to be humble in his, you know, experiments and say that, oh, I I don't quite know what's going on, but this did happen. I think he has that false sense of humility. More of like a yeah, a good old fashioned like yeah, trustworthy character. mm, Yeah, exactly. So the sad thing is, is that after he published the book, both Crick and Wilkins had strong objections to the book's publications. Which I wonder if this is Crick trying to speak out for Rosalind Franklin in objecting to the book, because. In the book, Watson portrays Franklin as being negative. She's portrayed as being only a lab assistant and being unable to interpret her own data. So clearly a very negative uh. portrayal of the the only female in his lab and this woman who has amazing evidence to prove DNA exists. Yeah. So. It's, it's extremely patronizing. Yes. And condescending. There was, like, some critique about his book saying that, like, he wasn't overly, like, rude or anything to Franklin. Like, yeah, he was condescending and such. But I would put forward the argument, and I I reckon about the Honest Jim stuff as well. Whoever his publicist was, I reckon they were the person that kind of, like, curved some of those I bet you they were. Because, like, they're not going to let him publish a book that has really degrading comments in it. They want him to look good. They want to sell this book based on people admiring him as a scientist. Him exactly. being a bad person does not help that. I can imagine, like, who knows what it would have said originally. Like, I don't know. And, and I think the fact, too, is that the content he's writing about, the discovery of DNA, clearly is one of the most, you know, important discoveries in the history of humankind. So that's already going to be a bestseller. Yeah. So I can definitely see it from a publicist's point of view of saying, this is already going to be a bestseller. Please don't ruin it with your controversial <laughs> statements. So please be a good person in please the book. Please be a good person. So the nice the nice thing is is we're just getting started on Watson. He has a lot more to say. And again, we just we would just like to warn our listeners that some of the statements he has made may be slightly upsetting. 
So Watson has laid low for a while um, after publishing publishing The Double Helix because during the time after publishing The Double Helix, he's still in research at um, the Cold Spring Harbors Lab on the East Coast, but he has made some very controversial statements. Um, so he has basically pushed uh, genetics as a tool to put white men above any other race. Um, he was part of the Human Genome Project and really used that power to push his own opinion on other was people. the Human Genome Project almost, like, eugenics-y? Like, I, did they try to use, gene- like, the human genome to argue the fact that white men were? I think Watson definitely tried to spin it that way. Mm. Um, but I think everybody else, um, Francis Collins, kind of the sub-manager on the group, definitely did not want it to okay. be seen that way. So it was supposed to just be... Agenda. Yeah, it was supposed to just more be another scientific discovery about uncoding the entire genome okay. whereas watson being the spokesperson for the project had to be a little more out there and controversial so during the time period of the human genome project and after he has been quoted saying the following there is a difference on the average between blacks and whites on iq tests i would say the difference is genetic <laughs> he has also hinted that what? thinner people are more ambitious Whenever you interview fat people, you feel bad because you know you're not going to hire them. (laughs) He has also remarked in relation to future genetic innovations that people say it would be terrible if we made all girls pretty. I think it would be great. These are just some of the various statements he has said about race, size, gender, age. I think it would be great. I, yes, he's he's definitely one of those scientists that I do not enjoy as a human being. I, I, I do not doubt that he has made some great discoveries and clearly helped to push humanity forward in scientific discoveries. But his personality clearly speaks for himself as to what he thinks. Just stop talking and get back to the lab, Watson. Pretty much. Know where you belong. Pretty much. (laughs) Shut your mouth. So Watson did end up getting a bit of justice for these scandalous statements because in January 2019, there was a documentary that aired which showed Watson repeating his controversial views on race, appearance, and sexuality. When the interviewer asked if the backlash that his comments had created had changed his stance on the connection between race and intelligence, Watson replied that his remarks had not changed, and he reaffirmed the statement. After the documentary aired, both the Cold Springs Harbor Laboratory and the Nobel Committee revoked their ties to him and his awards. So Watson ended up getting his just desserts in the end for his statements. Good. So I guess our, our question that we'll leave you with is, um, you know, t- should people, if they are learning about the discovery of the structure of DNA, should they, should they have known about Watson's controversial views in the discovery of DNA and known what he is like as a person, as well as know that Rosalind Franklin's work was not used with her permission? Can we debate this question as well? Yeah. Yeah. I, I okay, so it's an interesting debate in that I think it traces back... I'm, I'm not going to touch on the Franklin bit yet. Let's just talk about Watson being like a problematic person sure. in the context of his scientific discoveries because we are seeing that a lot now. We're seeing people who have achieved really great things in their professional life. However, it comes out later that they did things that were not okay. Should they 
yeah, should they be remembered for their work? Should they be remembered for their work alongside their controversy controversies? Or should they not be remembered? Because, like, obviously, like, he's still going to be in textbooks being like Watson and Crick's DNA, but not held up as, like, anything more than that. Like, it's just like, right. oh, it's Watson and Crick's DNA model. And that's all you know about him. Right. I think... You know, the nice thing is, is I don't think anybody really glorifies Watson. I'm sure they did back in the 50s mm. when the model first came out. But, you know, the nice thing is, is by now, most people know about his controversial opinions and what he is like as a person. I think you're absolutely right that, you know, more of this is coming out. And yeah, the question is, do we separate the science from the scientist as a person? And where do you draw the line? Yes, I would argue in this case, I think it is kind of a case by case basis. But I believe in this case, like you wouldn't, I wouldn't separate the scientist from the person because by him being that person, he actually suppressed other scientists. Like he suppressed Rosalind Franklin, who could have achieved just as good of things, um, if not better. And in so in being the person and the scientist he was, he actually stopped someone else from achieving that. Right. I would argue in that case, no, it can't be separated because he, him being that person stopped other science from happening. Absolutely. I think I would definitely agree with you on that as well as I think, and that's what we discuss on this podcast is, you know, the human aspects of scientists. So I think the fact that him as a person has affected him as a scientist to put down people like Rosalind Franklin, as well as a few other scientists, I'm sure, you know, we do, we should include that for accuracy point, Mm. just for the fact that people should know, you know, this is what Watson was like as a person. And it just happened to affect him as a scientist. Yeah. And I think we should also, I don't think we should wipe him from history. Like he should definitely still be like, this is Watson and Crick's DNA model. However, Watson didn't credit Rosalind Franklin. He was a pretty controversial person. He said this stuff, and he probably did a lot of bad things. So don't forget the discovery. He did do it. But also, like, have that as a package with everything else that he did. Like, always present it together. Because if you present one without the other, it doesn't make sense. Like, as you said, as a scientist and a human, him being a human informed his science. Especially, like, later on in life with all the... Uh, <laughs> introvert interesting topics yeah with all the, the classic eugenics good stuff yes um as for should he be brought to justice for his views i think he has been yes to some extent like i know when i studied dna in school and in university it was always this was always mentioned that they didn't credit credit franklin and i think having his awards taken from him and such like i think i think there has been justice and i think it's been I think it's been to a good degree. Like, it's talked about now. He doesn't have his big awards. Yeah. He's just remembered for his work, but also the bad things that he did. Absolutely. I would agree with you, too. So we'll leave this podcast with you guys and let us know what you think. So we'll see you next week when we discuss John Steinbeck see as a marine then. biologist.